0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord of all power and might, which art the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of thy name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and of thy great mercy keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So, as I just alluded to, this is a part two of two. So, last week, um, I did a class, and that, I suggest, if this is something you are really interested in, I would suggest going back and listening to that class, just because it kind of gives you more of a lay of the land of college admissions, and what how the broader culture speaks to us and honestly um, tells us mistruths about college admissions and about college. So that, um, I know Tommy is very relieved that he is not gonna have to read like two whole chapters of the Book of <laughs> Esther um, because that's what, we were in the Book of Esther last week and comparing the culture in the Book of Esther with the culture today surrounding college admissions. So I am gonna go through I'm going to have a little review of last week, but the scripture we're going to be in is different. So last week, I didn't really get a ton of time for introduction, um, but my name is Ginger Mayfield. I've um, This is my husband, Tommy. Um, I've been a member of the Advent for 10 years, um, and I'm a private college counselor, which means I just work privately with families. I have a very small little caseload that I work with, and it's kind of random that it well it is random and it isn't random. For me it's very random that I ended up doing this because it's what my father did and for those of you who maybe grew up either really wanting to do what your parents did or thought you would never do what your parents did, I was definitely more in the I'm never going to do what my dad does. Why would I do that? Um and so it's always very humbling when you find yourself wrong. Um, So a little background on me is, um, and some of you who know me well know this, that my mom is an Episcopal priest and she went to seminary when I was in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. So, and she went to, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and my mom went to seminary in Virginia. So I lived with my dad alone for three years. Um, My mom came back in seventh grade and things carried on. But every day for th- those three years was take your daughter to work day. And my father started the college guidance office at the Macaulay School, which is a boys day and boarding school in Chattanooga in the late 1970s when college guidance was kind of becoming its own distinct field apart, apart from just your regular counselor in a school. That really all kind of shifted in the 70s. Um, so I cannot, um, is it? I can. I don't think I could ever paint an accurate picture of how much time I spent one at the Macaulay School or two with my father alone during those three years. And at this particular time in my dad's life, he was at the peak of his career. He has since he's been at Macaulay now for 45 years, but um, he went on and he moved into some other roles, and now he's just like back in the classroom full time. Um, But at this time, like this is '93, '94, '95, he was at the peak of his career. He basically he was the president of the National Association of College Admissions Counselors, which is called NACAC, Um, and that's kind of like the highest. I mean, it's a random field, but it's like the highest mountain in this random field that no one really knows about. So that's the time at which I was like really. Clued into what my dad was doing and actually legitimately seeing him at work. Um, and so keep in mind that my dad was doing this job before email. And so I was with my dad a lot of times. And you know, we went to church, we still obviously lived in community with people. But I mean, parents, again, no email. So there were no, no text message. So no nervous texts or emails. I mean, parents would come up to my father in the grocery store, like corner him. They would call our home phone at church, like at coffee hour, you know, parents were talking to my dad, like they were nervous. And even as like a fourth and a fifth grader, I was like, wow, these people seem stressed. And I was able to, like, look at my dad and contrast it, like, with their sort of demeanor. And my dad, who wasn't stressed at all, and in my immature mind, I was like, isn't this my dad's job to, like, keep these people happy? Like, why isn't he stressed about this? Like, obviously, like, this is a really big deal. Like, get the people what they want, (laughs) you know? Um, But I do just remember, like, very vividly, like walking the aisles of the grocery store, like alone, while like my dad was like literally like trying to put something in like a produce bag. And like some mom was like nervously, you know, talking to him about college. Um, so families from the other private schools in Chattanooga, you had professionals like my dad, like they would call and they would want my dad to like help them? And my dad said, no, you know, he was like, look, your counselor has just as small of a ratio as I do. Um, but my dad was never flustered when he was talking to the families. And I think that was the biggest takeaway for me was I was like, these people are stressed. My dad is not like, what does my dad know that these families don't? And I think the first thing is one, my dad had a sample size of hundreds. I mean, he did this for like 20 years. Like he had seen students who had ended up being incredibly disappointed in the type of letter they received from their number one choice, um, end up thriving at another school that they never would have known about if not for him. And then he'd seen kids who'd gotten exactly what they wanted, who kind of just fell apart or maybe had to drop out or didn't do well or it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. He'd just seen so many different ways that this could go. Um, and I think the other thing he, that he, um, knew very deeply, he just knew how many great options there really were out there, especially once he did this work at NACAC. Um, you know, he he toured a ton of colleges, and I myself tour 25 colleges a year. And if you're out there seeing that many colleges, you don't feel like in bondage to a very limited list anymore, because there really are a lot of great options out there all along the selectivity spectrum. Um, and I mentioned this last week, but there are 3,000 four-year colleges in the United States, and most of them accept most of the students that apply. But the culture, that's not what the culture tells us. Um, the culture kind of sets up this, this culture of fear, like there isn't enough of this, or there's not enough of the right thing. Um, so I think what was most telling for me about my dad was that when it was time for me to apply to college, um, and I'm an only child, you know, he was incredibly open-minded. And as I mentioned last week, he did not even take me to visit his own alma mater, where I ultimately ended up going until October of my senior year. Um, in fact, it was my very last tour that I went on, and it almost felt like an afterthought. <laughs> Um, he also, he didn't even read my essay. I mean, and I mentioned he's an English teacher. I mean, he teaches AP English at Macaulay, didn't read my essay, didn't once ask to read it. I don't honestly know if I would have given it to him to read it, and, um, but so when the rubber actually hit the road, it was just really clear that he actually believed what he was telling all these families for like these 20 years prior. Um, And what he was telling them is that where you go matters far less than how much you learn and grow as a person while you are there. So, and I can say, I mean, and I really believe this, I can say without a doubt that my father would have just, would have been just as excited for me to go to the University of Tennessee, which was my state institution, than Vanderbilt, where I ended up going. Um, I mean, my dad, and, and I'm sure if you have high school kids, you see this. I mean, I had a very limited view too. So my dad would suggest kind of these random things. You know, my dad suggested, these are three that I vividly remember my dad suggested to me. Denison in Ohio, MTSU in Murfreesboro, and Birmingham Southern College. Um, and I mean, I didn't tour any of them and I thought he didn't know what he was talking about um, because I was that's where I was in my development, you know, Teenagers, they're starting to kind of break away from their parents' opinions. Um, so a side note, both my father and my school college counselor suggested Denison to me. And I still didn't even bother to pick up the brochure and glance at it. Um, and it's funny doing what I now doing what I know doing what I do now and knowing what I now know about it, it was a great suggestion and, and it could have been a good fit. But I also know that I didn't miss that boat. I still ended up where I needed to go, even though that could have been a really good fit for me. Um, and just so you don't think my father is perfect, because he certainly is not, he did forbid me from applying to Colby College in Maine, which was the one, like, out-of-the-box school I discovered on my own. I mean, and, you know, that was probably wise. Like, Maine's pretty chilly. <laughs> I mean, that you're looking at, like, long underwear every day if you're going to college there. Um Okay. So that's just a little bit more background of how I ended up doing what I'm doing today. I always knew I wanted to be in a helping profession. When I was in college, my major was geared towards that. Um, I have a master's in counseling. I just never thought I would be helping people in this specific area. I mean, I'm glad I'm not helping people in the way my mom was. I definitely don't feel called to the Episcopal priesthood. So. Okay, so last week we talked about three lies, and again, you, if this is something you're really interested in, I suggest going back to listen to it, kind of for a more, because um, I'm going to click through this pretty quickly, but so last week we talked about three lies about college and college admission that are common in the current culture. So lie number one, a school selectivity rate determines it its worth. Um, many factors, but mainly the the flawed U.S. News and World Report rankings, which I kind of took apart last week, equate how selective a school is to how good it is. And then also the flip of that is also a lie that we're told. A school that is not selective is not good. So the journalist Frank Bruni, he writes a good bit about higher ed and he wrote a book in 2016. And again, if you're a parent of a high schooler, I suggest checking this out. It's called where you go is not who you will be. And he says this, somewhere along the way, a school's selectiveness measured in large part by its acceptance rate became synonymous with its worth. Acceptance rates are prominently featured in the profiles of schools that appear in various reference books and surveys, including the rapidly monitored one by US News and World Report, whose annual rankings of American colleges factor in those rates slightly. Colleges know that many prospective applicants equate a lower acceptance rate with a more coveted, special, and brag-worthy experience. And these colleges endeavor to bring their rates down by ratcheting up the number of young people who apply. They bang the drums like never before. From the organization that administers the SAT, they buy the names of students who have scored above a certain mark, I should say, and the ACT as well, it's not just the college board. They buy the names of students who have scored above a certain mark and are at least remotely plausible, persuadable applicants. Then they send those students pamphlets and literature that grow glossier and more alluring. That leafy quadrangle, those gleaming microscopes by the year. The college admissions office is no longer a mere screening committee. Okay, so that's lie number one that a school selectivity equals its worth. Lie number two that the culture tells us, a sensible degree from a highly ranked or well-known college guarantees you success. And the key word is guarantees, that it's a slam dunk. I'm not saying if you, you know, a lot of people who do go to highly selective colleges end up being very su- select, um, successful, but there isn't a guarantee there. Um, So many parents, and actually I I talked with a friend on the phone about this after last week. And so this is kind of what parents, when they come in my office, what we end up talking about. So most, many parents spin a very flawed narrative. And when they get worked up about this particular point, they imagine this one future moment on one future day. Where their child's resume is going to be evaluated by a potential employer. And in this imaginary scenario, the employer has two resumes in their hands. And, you know, child X's, child X's resume lists one school, child Y's resume lists another school. And if your child's resume says this school and not this school or vice versa, then your child will either automatically have a leg up or automatically be disadvantaged. Like that one moment is when parents get worked about, about it, and that's what they're looking towards. So I could poke holes in this for a while, but like just a few things to think about. What if the employer is looking for the opposite gender of your child? They don't care where your kid went to school. They just need more men on the marketing team. Um, what if the student who attended the less selective school has a higher GPA? What if they were able to be closer to their professors and they got to do more in-depth research with their professors and had more opportunities? What if because they went to a place where they were a big fish in a small pond, they had time to do significant leadership on their campus and they have a reference letter from the president of that university or college? I mean, all, you know, we just, there's so many things that we don't know. Um, but a lot of parents are imagining this one moment, two resumes, and all they're considering is the name of the institution. Um, also, and this is, this is personal. Um, also, you just never know where life is going to take your child. So, as I mentioned, I went to Vanderbilt and I was never more underemployed than when I lived in Charlottesville, Virginia. So it turns out that when living in Charlottesville, Virginia, that Vanderbilt didn't really open a lot of doors, and mainly that was because it was an oversaturated job market. Like something I totally couldn't control. But um, you know, when I was eighteen, there was no way I could have predicted that I was gonna be living in Charlottesville, Virginia. I mean, and I never would have been living in Charlottesville, Virginia if I hadn't, you know, gone to Vanderbilt and met Tommy and he ended up in Charlottesville. So don't let some imaginary thought process of a future employer drive your decisions for what is best for your child. There are no guarantees, and and life is gonna take your child so many different places that you can never even imagine. All right, so lie number three. Where you are going to college is what matters the most. So we talked a lot about this last week. Leading the process off with the question, where are you going to college? And never asking the question, why are you going to college and what is important to you is the first step in having a college search process that will be very stressful. If you ask the why and the what first and really listen to the answers, the where will fall into place. So, as I mentioned last week, when you lead with the question of where are you going to college, that says that individuals don't matter. We've each been given unique children to shepherd and love and they need to be asked why do they wanna go to college and what is important to them. Because honestly, they need us to help them figure it out. Um, because a lot of them actually just don't know what college is actually for. And we don't take the time to tell them. And there are certainly voices in our broader culture that are gonna fill... <laughs> um, oh no, am I still getting taped? Um, that are gonna fill that void that fill that void for us. Um, okay, I think about I don't know if you all watched this when the college admission scandal broke last spring, but um, you know, there's this video of Laurie Laughlin's daughter, Olivia Jade, I think is her name. And there's this one video, you know, she's at USC, she's she's, you know, putting on her makeup and she's quoted, this is a quote and she's already at school. I don't know how much of school I'm going to attend, but I'm going to go in and talk to my deans and everyone and hope that I can try and balance it all. But I do want the experience of, like, game days, partying. I don't really care about school, as you guys all know. I mean, we laugh at that, but, I mean, she had a huge following. Like, these are the voices out there, you know? I mean, I didn't know who she was, but I bet if you have high school girls, some of your high school girls knew who she was. Um, and I was actually talking to Tommy's cousin last night who's in college and um, he's a senior and he was, we were talking about some of these college brands and I need to add, this is not content coming from colleges themselves. These are from brands trying to sell other stuff, but they portray college life on Instagram and they're very powerful. So, made the mistake of like getting my coffee this morning and looking up some of these brands and it really woke me up because as you can imagine, there was just a lot of glorification of drunkenness, sex, there are videos of girls passed out. Um, there there's a video you know, and it was at a CVS and it was an empty shelf where the plan B like morning after pill was and that shelf was empty. So all the plan B had been purchased and it said like, welcome to XYZ University, basically like glorifying unprotected sex. Um, so those messages are out there and we need to be the ones as Christians telling our parents, telling our kids what is important to us as a family and asking them. Where are they getting their impressions about what college life is going to be like? Um, and especially since you are likely paying for college as parents. Um, you know, I imagine most of you want your kids to know that you're not expecting that they're going to find a four-year vacation spot. <laughs> um, and that they don't need to pick a college for what does or does not happen there on the weekends. Um, not that that's not important. Not that the social part isn't very important i mean i am a firm believer you know in working with families i want my kids to find a place where their people are because if your people aren't there you aren't going to be very happy but i think it's more just this idea of what is college and what do you do there you know and if the video is glorifying you know i mean girls passed out with their panties hanging out sorry you know i mean it's just content that's. I don't think any of us would want our ch- child to see that and say, "Yes, that's what I want." You know, so maybe if you do have a high schooler, look through some of these accounts with them and be like, "This is not what college is about." I mean, we're going to college to learn and thrive. That is the the purpose to prepare you for your career to prepare you for a life based on reason, to prepare you for citizenship. I mean, those are all the purposes of why we have universities. And, you know, the images I saw this morning over coffee did not relay that message well. Instagram, I can't see you talking about I'll, I'll tell you later. I don't want to, like, get on. Um, okay. So... But I have—I will say—I have had students come in and say, "I'm interested in this school because I follow this YouTuber that goes there," mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, and maybe it is like a good YouTuber, but maybe it's not. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just think the point is you just have to be aware that if you aren't stepping in to talk about what you think that college is for, mm-hmm. other voices will. So we're going to be first in Colossians three, one through four. So. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Christ, right now, is at the right hand of the Father. He is in heaven, in his resurrected body, and he has all authority. So because of Christ's place in heaven, his continual intercession on our behalf and the promise of eternal life, we can face reality here on earth and not live in fear. Of course, that applies to everything in our life, but especially with our children's future and this big decision as a family. So set your minds on things above. There's so much more going on in the world. Then we can even see or perceive with our, with our limited and finite minds. Um, so because Christ is at the right hand of God, we can see the college admissions process for what it is and stand between our children and what are essentially million dollar and sometimes billion dollar businesses that are promising success and ful- fulfillment to them. Um, our children all have more options than our culture allows us to believe. College marketing is big, big, big business. So the median price in 2017 for a four-year private institution to recruit a student was $2,357. And as an example, Boston University, um, did anyone apply in this room to Boston University? No, I think that's interesting. Last year, Boston University got 60,000 applications. And at $80 a pop, applications alone are a significant revenue stream for colleges. So because Christ is at the right hand of God and he has all authority, we can be honest with our kids and say things that might disappoint them. Like that school's acceptance rate is 6%. And so when you flip that, 94% of the people that apply there do not get accepted. So let's spend our time and money and our time off traveling to visit a school that might be a better match for you. There's an opportunity cost and we need to find some realistic options that you will love. Um, Or, I'm sorry, we're not gonna tour that school because we are not gonna qualify for financial aid and we can't qualify for financial aid, but we can't afford $70,000 a year this close to the end of our career with aging parents. Let's find a great fit that could get you some, that where you could get some good merit aid. So, because Christ is at the right hand of God, we can face reality. Um, and honestly, because Christ is at the right hand of God, freedom can come from truth and not more bondage. So, a few years ago, I was touring um, Georgia Tech, and I don't know if the rep had just kind of was just kind of over it <laughs> or what. But I think someone you raised the, like raised the hand and was like, well, what are the test scores you're looking for? And he was like, look, I could fill my entire freshman class twice over with people from China with 36s on the ACT. Like, and at first I was like, well, you just ruined a lot of people's days, dude. But on the same, on the other hand, I was like, you know what? These people need to know the truth. And like, it's better to get that information go forth in freedom and not live in bondage to Georgia Tech you know um there's there are a few schools who offer um you know alumni you can kind of go to their alumni office and they'll give you a pre-read of your application and I've had families go do that and they they came back and you know the alumni office basically was like Yeah, this probably isn't going to happen, even though you're a legacy. And they, and the family said, we wish we hadn't done that, but that is still living in bondage. Like it, that you need to be free to say, okay, this door's closed or seems to be closing. Um, let's turn our attention and energy elsewhere. Um, all right. So now I'm going to read from Romans. Alright, and this is Romans 8. And I'm sorry I didn't print out the, the verses. Romans 8, 32 through 34. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So again, we see, you know, God and Jesus especially is still very active on our behalf. Like there are things going on in our life that are happening in heaven for us without us knowing it. Um, and so for a long time, the thought of having Christ interceding for me in heaven confused me. Because the only like implication I could really draw from it was that it had to do with initial pardon from sin and kind of salvation. But being a Christian is not just about the initial payment for our sins that Christ paid on the cross. Being a Christian and guiding a Christian child through the college admissions process is reminding them that Christ was a substitute for them on the cross, yes, but he is continually their substitute for them on a daily basis. And their worthiness and their beauty um, has been secured once and for all because it is Christ's own beauty and worthiness. And nothing can take that away from them, especially not a process as complicated and opaque as the college admissions process. So we read in this passage in Romans that God gives us all things that by right belong to Christ. We read here that even now Christ is active on our behalf, interceding for us, praying for us, bring, bringing our requests before the Father. So even though our salvation is complete, he is still active on our behalf. So I think one thing that makes the college admissions process so scary, especially for teenagers, is that it can feel like an ultimate verdict on their worth to them, Um their lives have been short so far. I mean, 17 years, you know, and many of them lack the perspective to see beyond the next few years of their life. And so this is made exponentially, exponentially worse when a child perceives that their parents believe that the college admissions process has something ultimate and final about them. And a lot of times, even if the parents, I see it different ways. Sometimes I can tell, that the parents, um, Christian or not, you know, feel like this process does say something ultimate and final about their kid. And sometimes I can really see that the parents feel like it says something ultimate and final about their parenting. Like maybe they didn't give their child enough opportunities or maybe they didn't help their child. When, you know, as I said before, every child is different. Every child is going to have different needs. There are late bloomers. There are people who don't hit their peak until age 32. And, you know, that's the perspective we need to keep in mind. Um, so, but when, the, when a parent does, in my experience with families, when a parent does believe that this process has something ultimate and final, the child perceives that and takes that on. Um, and I can tell who these parents are by how unnecessarily, emotional the processes for them and how much they try to micromanage it. Um and it, it becomes very aware very quickly that the focus has gone beyond just wanting their child to be happy. I mean, everyone comes in saying, I just want my child to be happy, but then as, you know, as kind of the Deadlines get closer and maybe their child isn't doing what they want. You know, the emotions start running a little bit higher. Um, So a few years ago, I went to a burial. And I noticed for the first time this prayer. And I actually believe the same prayer is said on Good Friday. Although I haven't been to that service in a few years. So I hadn't really noticed it. Um, And I'm going to read the prayer and then I'm going to talk about it for a little bit. So the prayer is, Oh Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray thee to set thy passion, cross, and death between thy judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. Give mercy and grace to the living, pardon and rest to the dead, to thy holy church, peace and conquered, and to us sinners, everlasting life and glory, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit, livest and reignest, one God, now and forever. Amen. So The part that really got my attention and the part that I really love is the part about asking God to place the reality of what Christ's sufferings and death means for us between us and God's judgment. So I think a version of this prayer that is very appropriate for families approaching the college admissions process is asking God, Lord, I pray that you would set Christ's passion cross and death between my child and the college admissions process. Um, Lord, you suffered on my child's behalf in the face of ultimate and just judgment. And now this earthly judgment does not have to invoke despair in our family. Um, So Christ did not just set your child free at the moment of their salvation, but the idea is that he daily imputes to all of us and to your child... His worthiness and His beauty. And because of this, we can withstand earthly judgment with the knowledge that it will never, ever have the final word in our life. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to sting, but um, it's never going to have the final word in our life um, because the final judgment and the final punishment has been completely paid for and taken care of of the cross. So if you find yourself in an overly emotional state about the college admissions process, it is more likely than not that you need to be reminded of what Christ has actually accomplished for you and for your child. And that Christ is active in heaven on your behalf and on your child's behalf. And that we have given everything that we need through Christ. Everything that Christ deserves, he freely gives to us. Um, And I think, you know, this reminder... You know, that sounds really nice. It's like, you just need to be reminded how much God loves you. And sometimes when I hear that, I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not smart enough. I can't call to mind, like what I need to know. I'm failing again because I can't remember. But we all forget daily. And that's why, here's some art from Polly. God gives us his word to remind us of this. And that's why we have it because we are prone to forget and we're prone to wander. And so today I thought the, um, where is it? The psalm was so perfect. It was so perfect even for me because I mean, I'm nervous to get up in front of a bunch of adults and talk about this, but it's so perfect even just for what we're talking about. Um, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where is my help to come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, and he who watches over you will not fall asleep. Behold, he who keeps watch over Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand, so that the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon, moon by night. So the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. It is he who shall keep you safe. The Lord shall watch over your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. So that's really all that I have, but I think we have like five minutes for questions if anyone has a question. Dan. Give me, I lost track. With the bloke from Georgia Tech that said they could get, you know, a sea of whomever with 36s, mm-hmm. was he saying or she saying like, arrogantly? Or factually, what was the takeaway from that? I think the takeaway is that's the, that's the truth. Um, well, yeah. yeah. Um, was he saying it, saying it arrogantly? I think he was, I mean, I, I, I can't get inside his mind. I think he'd had a bad day. I don't, I think he went off script. <laughs> <laughs> um, for I, sure. But they don't take like that. So I'm wondering if he was trying to communicate we could if we wanted to, but if you're looking at the scores, we look at a lot more than just a score. It, it's I mean, bad. I don't know. Why yeah, I, I will run. say, and this is like a rule of thumb. This is super practical. So Georgia Tech's like out of state acceptance rate, since it's a state school, is 14%. So. Most people who do what I do would say any school that has a, under a 25% acceptance rate is a reach for every single person that applies, even if they have a 36. So, I think, I think there is, in colleges, because this process is opaque, and anyone who has taken a child to go visit places will know, they kind of trot out this whole holistic admissions, deal, you know, which I'm not saying they don't read everything, but when you're like, for instance, with Boston University, how much time are you, you know, and, and Georgia Tech, I don't know how many applications off the top of my head they got, but I think they like to, because they want applications, they want to make the choices. They do, um, make it opaque and they, you know, sometimes they encourage you from not really seeing how truly deep the applicant pool is. Like Stanford, for instance, Stanford's acceptance rate is probably like 3% right now. So 97, anytime you look at an acceptance rate, flip it. So 97% of the people that apply to Stanford do not get in. And now Stanford has started saying, we don't want to be a part of the college admissions problem we're not going to publish our acceptance rate and that seems like they're being altruistic but really they just want people to keep applying you know it's um because they're businesses and i think one thing to, and this is where parents really need to enter in because the person who is talking to your child at their school or on the tour they're like a 24 year old english major who's working a job like they're not tasked with like getting the revenue, keeping the lights on at this university. So, like, they are very sincere. But there are just a lot of different people at universities. I mean, they're incredibly sophisticated businesses with competing interests. And that's, I think, where parents can enter in. Um, Because, I mean, we all hear, because the media likes to, you know, trot them out. We all hear the horror stories about the person who applied to every single Ivy League and didn't get in and I mean yeah that that's not surprising you know I mean the acceptance rates are are minuscule at those places Um, so I I don't know if that answered the question I don't think Georgia Tech would have loved him saying that but it was true and I do think that is something to his point I I mean it is and education is America's number one export I mean because you think about, I mean, these places, they they need money to keep them going, especially schools that are tuition dependent, that don't have these huge endowments like Harvard. And a lot of times where they get those full pay kids are people from outside the United States who literally like, I mean, and even at boarding schools, like I said, my dad, you know, I mean, people are paying in like suitcases of cash, like, <laughs> which is ridiculous, but that's just the reality and I think parents need to be willing to face that reality knowing that Christ is at the right hand of God and has all authority and is working on the behalf of our children like I think yeah if you hear that and you don't think that there is someone working for your good in heaven that's incredibly terrifying you know um, incredibly terrifying yes Right. Secondary school and going on to the university. And it seems like that's becoming slightly becoming an interesting trend yeah. here, especially for kids who modulate bloomers. Out of how are the colleges handling that because it's very open in Europe. Kids will this is a standard. I think most kids take a gap year. Yeah. That's not the norm here. Our college is very willing to say we accept you now and we'll give you that year. Yeah. And some colleges even have programs where they'll allow you to do like a spring start. And like, and they even kind of have their, actually, Boston University um, has this program where basically you go abroad for the first semester and start in the spring. Um, and some schools even have, um, like, guaranteed transfer options. Um, I mean, but, yeah. Sort of tie on, if, what if a student doesn't apply until they've been out of High school for a year or two. is that is that far more challenging, or is it still kind of becoming more of a? Yeah, that's not too unusual for a kid to wait a couple of years, get work, maybe go to an associate, you get an associate. Right. Degree, then does that? Do they look at that as? Like I don't think you. No, degree? I don't think you would be. I mean, I think it depends on the school, but I don't. Right. Typically, I don't think you would be penalized for that. I think that's something that most people. Yes. Actually, my dad wanted me to take a gap year, and I was like, no. And honestly, the the reason most people don't want to take a gap year is because of rush. They want to, like, rush. They don't want to be in a pledge class with people younger, <laughs> or at least when I have had fam- families where I'm like, yeah, let's talk about a gap year, you know, um, so... But I think gap years are great, and there's a lot of different ways to do them. Like, there are certainly programs, and then there's also just like working at Zoe's for a year. All right, well, I'm over, but thank you so much. Go in peace. <laughs> You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.